incoming transmission. Radio Rebellion. Welcome on the Super Bowl weekend, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Star Wars. No, that's not the name of the show. Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. Never a good sign when the host doesn't remember the name of his own show. I am your host, at least for right now. We'll see if by the end of the show I've been replaced by someone else. But for now, I am Alberto Calderon. I'm, I'm here to have a fun show with you guys today. We have some cool Star Wars news to get up to talk about. And also, we will finally be able to do a main topic, a new segment not related to the news. Something I talked about on our first episode that apart from doing the big news story, doing reviews of books, movies, or TV shows, I wanted to do some main topics. And today we'll do our first one where we will be rating the best and worst stormtroopers. So just stick around and we'll get to that soon enough. So it's been hard to do those special topics. There's been a lot of big breaking news the first two weeks. So the first week we spent most of our time discussing the leaked episode nine scripts. And last week it was the Obi-Wan Disney Plus series news that kind of overtook that conversation. So those were fun topics to discuss, but again, like I mentioned, apart from discussing those weekly news, we want to get into a little bit more fun discussions to go to talk about. And there is a lot of big stories that came in this past week, so we'll make sure to discuss all those. But before before we start doing all that, I just want to Kind of a quick review this week, I just kind of walking around work from one place to another, kind of saw from afar something that looks familiar, got a little little bit close and saw two Star Wars Funko Pops in a random window. It was, I believe one of them was old Luke Skywalker from The Last Jedi and also a classic Chewbacca with his bowcaster. So it's always cool to see Star Wars kind of all around the place when you least expect it. I was also given two Star Wars stickers by a co-worker, both kind of Darth Vader related. So again, always great to get some Star Wars items from friends and people you know. Um, now, just a quick update. Radio Rebellion now has its own Instagram page. So if you want to be kept up to date on when new episodes drop and anything like that, go show, make sure to go to Instagram and follow Radio Rebellion Podcast. If not, as always, go to Twitter at Radio, Radio Rebel Pod and also hashtag Ask the Rebellion for any questions you might have that you want me to answer or any topic you want me to discuss. So like I mentioned, there's a lot of news that happened this week. So let's start with the news. And the first news is some news on the news. I know I mentioned on that first episode that the news segment was going to be called the Mid-Rim Report because I like that name a lot and I still do but I'm changing that so yeah third episode in and I'm already making production changes so we will have three news sub-segments so basically kind of our own little trilogy so first any news that is confirmed either by Lucasfilm, Disney, Star Wars itself it, it will be called News from the Core any unconfirmed reports, both with credible sources or, <clears throat> excuse me, or multiple sources reporting the same facts and that we believe to be true, will be the mid-rim report. 
And finally, any weird unconfirmed rumors that is just too wild, but we still decide to discuss it, will be tales from the unknown regions. Yeah, so again, kind of a quick recap. Confirmed reports, news from the core, anything not confirmed, but that we believe to be true is the mid-rim report. And just wild speculations is going to be tales from the unknown region. So let's start with our first segment and news from the core. Did you guys get a chance to watch the Grammy Awards the other day? It really doesn't matter matter if you did or not because I don't think the category was televised anyway because the Grammys only televised about three categories in that three hour show. But Star Wars composer John Williams, I know you guys heard of him, won his 25th Grammy, 25, for his work on the song for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, also known as Star Wars Land. Uh, this song is titled Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Symphonic Suite. The song can be heard by park goers as they walk around Batuu, the planet on Galaxy's Edge. And the category which he won was Best in Instrumental Composition. Uh, as we know, Williams is also nominated for an Acam Academy Award coming up. So for the Rise of Skywalker store, so it's a good start to his kind of award season. Our second news comes from StarWars.com, an article they had last week called Buckets, Buckets List. And they talk about five fun facts from the Star Wars Resistance series finale, The Escape, which we just saw last weekend. And one of those fun facts is that it was revealed that some of the ships we see in the series made their way to the final battle in The Rise of Skywalker. This is straight from Pablo Hidalgo. He says, well, one thing we do know is that among the 14,000 ships, I'm going to repeat that again, 14,000 ships that arrived with Lando Calrissian over Exegol in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker are the Fireball, Jared Yeager's Racer, and Toradosa's ship, says Pablo Hidalgo of the Lucasfilm Story Group. The ILM team created photoreal versions of these vessels to populate the movie Space Battle. So I can't say that I saw them on the two times that I watched the movie and I doubt they'll be easily spotted, especially if there is 14,000 ships. I saw someone write that they might, might have seen the fireball landing on Agent Claus at the end of the movie. So we'll have to wait till it's released on Blu-ray to kind of those do those shot by shot and see if we can spot any of those ships. So it's always cool to see characters or ships from the TV shows or novels show up in the movies, very similar during Rogue One that we were able to see the ghost plus Chopper kind of walking in the background or rolling in the background. So it's cool to see that this is still kind of out there. We have to look real hard to kind of spot them, but it's good that they're integrating the novels, TV shows, cartoon into the movies. So our third news topic to discuss is a new Poe Dameron novel. And this was first reported on Polygon.com that a new young adult novel featuring everyone's favorite hotshot pilot and former spice runner Poe Dameron will be re released later this year. The novel is written by Alex Segura. The title of the book is Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall and it will center around Poe's early days before he became the Resistance's best pilot. Slated for release on August 4th, Polygon offers a brief description of Freefall saying, 
It's been a few years since Poe's mother, who was a pilot for the rebellion, passed away and Poe and his fathers have had more and more trouble connecting. Not sure what he wants to do, do with his life, teenage Poe runs away from home to find adventure and to figure out what kind of man he is meant to be. Segura goes on to say that it will focus on Poe's formative teen years and will answer questions posed by the rise of Skywalker, like what was Poe's secret history as a spice runner and his relationship with Sori Bliss, and will, and will lead to the man we meet in The Force Awakens. Interesting enough, Segura says that this book is very much a galactic crime novel in that it explores the seedier sides of the Star Wars universe. <sighs> Some people would say why a Poe Dameron novel, especially now. He already had, he had his own comic book run uh, a few years ago. Uh, he was one of the main characters in the Rise of Skywalker's prequel, prequel novel Resistance Reborn. And now his own novel, why not maybe going to Finn and kind of building up to The Force Awakens, what he was kind of going through, what conflicts he had that led him to defect. I know there's a, I think a one-shot comic or a, a very short novel that kind of goes into it a little bit, but... Either way, to see how Poe got to the place he is when we ori originally met him, and have some more adventures with him, Sorry Bliss, and I'm sure Babu Freak will be there, and he's always welcome. So, even though there's some questions why a Poe Dameron novel, I think there's a lot that can be discussed there, so we can learn more about the character. And again, we won't be won't have to wait too long as it comes out August 4th, so just about four to five months away. All right, so we found it. Looks lightsaber. According to one of the Marvel Star Wars comics, we are now closer to figuring out how Luke Skywalker's lightsaber wasn't lost along with his hand when Darth Vader caught it during their battle in Cloud City over Bespin. Reading from CNET.com, Star Wars number 2 that was just released a few days ago on January 29th, Luke is experiencing a vision in which a hooded figure catches the falling lightsaber and then tells Luke to follow his destiny. We don't see the hooded figure's face, but we can tell it's a Jedi, or at least most likely a Jedi by the clothes he wears, unless he's a, it's an old hermit like Obi-Wan just wearing Jedi clothes. But So hopefully this comic series answers the, like Mascanara says, a good question for another day that she tells Han when he asks how she got a hold of Luke's lightsaber. So we're starting to unravel this mystery and Star Wars number three, which will be released on February 26th or so three weeks from now. Hopefully we will learn more. So what do you guys think? Should this, has be, should this have been revealed in one of the sequel movies or is it okay to reveal it in a comic? I know out of as one of the big questions coming out of The Force Awakens, how, why didn't Luke's lightsaber just kind of disappear, went into space or... <clears throat> into the bowels of Bespin and Cloud City when it fell down with, along with his hand. Maskanara got it, it was never kind of revealed. Again, she says, a good question for another day. So we were all waiting for this reveal and, and it never came during the sequel movies. But now it's starting to be kind of explored in the comics. So it looks like we'll get the answers. We'll just see if enough people read this comic to kind of figure it out. 
And that's it for our news from the core segment. So let's move on to the mid rim report. Again, these are stories that are not 100% confirmed, but that we believe to be true. And the first one is kind of half and half, and it's an update on Project Luminous, which that is confirmed, but there is some speculations on what Project Luminous is actually going to go over. So we decided to put it on the mid rim report. So a few days ago, ABC correspondent Clayton Sandell tweeted out, the countdown is on Star Wars Project Luminous, February 24th, 2020. Other entertainment journalists confirmed receiving invitations for a Star Wars event that day. So a quick backstory, during New York Comic Con back in October 2019, Lucasfilm Publishing Creative Director Michael Siglain teased the mysterious project Luminous by showing a slide that read, the force, is what, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. Until dot 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 project Luminous 2020. We also learned some of the authors involved, involved with these projects to include among others Claudia Gray from the great books Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Lost Stars, Bloodline, and Master and Apprentice. Daniel Jose Older, who wrote the Han Solo novel Last Shot. And Charles Sewell, who has done the Darth Vader comics and is finishing up the run of the Rise of Kylo Ren comic books. It was thought at the time that Project Luminous would be a multi-platform project that would tie in novels, comic books, and maybe other media like TV, movies, video games, who knew. The comic books and novel was pretty much a giveaway with the authors that were revealed. But there's always been all those rumors about what else Project Luminous would be about. Earlier this year, in January, there were rumors of what the next set of Star Wars movies would be about, or at least what era or what time period, and that was kind of revealed, quote-unquote, because it hasn't been confirmed to be the High Republic era, which is set 400 years before Episode 1 or 400 years before the Skywalker saga. So that started making the rounds early in January, and we'll cover more of on this on a... And another episode will dedicate it to talking about the High Republic and what that can mean. But in some comic books that have come out, the High Republic name has been starting to pop up. So it seems like a good, a good idea. Not a, like it's something's going to happen that that's the next era that we're going to be exploring. So when that came out, it was also believed that Project Luminous will be part of this High Republic era. But nothing official has been kind of confirmed. But now going to StarWarsNewsNet.com, they cite a Hungarian fan site called Zero with the following. Talking about Project Luminous, that it is a multimedia effort that Lucasfilm has been developing for quite some time. The overall concept connecting the Project Luminous stories are a group of Jedi that go out to explore the unknown regions of the galaxy, encountering three distinct types of enemies the most dangerous of which are godlike Sith entities of some kind. Each Jedi will also have a specific set of Force-related skills that make them unique. Sounds interesting enough. Uh, the first Project Luminous-related content would be a video game to come out in 2021. This is again coming from Zero. 
but after all this came out, then a few days later, so as always, don't get too excited about the news you start hearing out there. Clayton came back and went back to Twitter and clarified that Project Luminous is an interconnected Star Wars story to be told through publishing. No movies, TV, or video game tie-ins. So very similar to when it was announced back in October on New York Comic Con that it's mostly a comic book and novel interconnected series. Won't include TVs or movies. But yeah, we won't have much to wait to find out if this is true or how far it goes because February 24th is just a mere three weeks away, Project Luminous. So even if Project Luminous doesn't directly connect with the movies or TV show, it still has the possibility and potential of adding a lot more lore to the Star Wars universe. Um, for me, I think the safest bet is that Project Luminous will expand on what we already know about the Jedi and the Force. I mean, it's right there on the name and that brief description at the beginning. And if it focuses on the High Republic 400 years ago when the Jedi were all over the place and then starting to set up that in books, it might be the best way to go to expand what we know about the Jedi, the Force, the Living Force, the Spiritual Force, all that is a lot easier explained and kind of expanded in books and even in, comic, in novels and comic books. And then from there starting to kind of expand into the movies and all the TV shows. So start in the novels, explain it, and then go to, to the movies with some background on it. So you don't have to spend one and a half movies trying to explain everything that kind of connects the Jedi and the Force and the Unknown Regions and all that stuff. So again, Project Luminous first is not coming out, but we'll hear a lot more you know, on February 24th. So now one of the biggest news that came out I mean, midway through the week was Star Wars Underworld test footage. So if you remember back in 2010 when George Lucas was in the process of developing a Star Wars TV series, which we believe it would most likely be for ABC, and that he, he had written about 100 episodes, it was supposed to take place in the underbelly of Coruscant and follow the criminal world. And the series was supposed to take place between episode 3 and episode 4. So between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. The problem that he was facing was that the budget for each episode was basically the same as for a movie. It's about $50 million an episode back in 2010. And it wouldn't be possible to be made back then. But... In one second, lost my notes. So yeah, and then, so yeah, they couldn't make it back then. It was too expensive. And then 2012 came around and George Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Disney and the project was basically shelved indefinitely. So as first seen, at least by me on geektyrant.com, they have a leaked 10 minute video of the underworld test footage. Uh, five minutes is that test footage and then five minutes of behind the scene of how they made it and you can find it, find it on the Holonet YouTube channel. Um, Geek Taran goes and has a, an interview with Rick McCollum from a few years ago when as you know Rick McCollum was he produced the Star Wars prequel, prequels with George Lucas and he said Basically, it is like the Godfather. It's the Empire slowly building up its power base around the galaxy. 
what happens in Coruscant, which is the major capital and its group of underground bosses who live there and control drugs, prostitution and all that. It's test footage, so the special effects aren't the best in some instances, it's not finished, but it gives a good vibe for the feel of the show. To me, it had a kind of Attack of the Clones when Anakin and Obi-Wan are chasing Sam Whistle, the bounty hunter that tried to kill Padme. It has kind of that vibe. Even the music at some points seemed very similar, almost the same. And a quick breakdown of the test footage, if you haven't seen it. There's a droid, basically like a droid drone searching for someone, trying to do like facial recognition or something like that. There's a bunch of stormtroopers crowding the streets. Uh, this woman steps out of a vehicle, kind of wearing kind of half Jedi robe, but not really. I don't think she's a Jedi. Uh, she meets with an older woman who gives her a device of some kind. She finds she places this device in a terminal and downloads information about a Star Destroyer. She then goes into a business where they are selling weapons and stuff probably to criminals. Again, it is the underworld. And she tells the guy running the shop that they have that they have the plans but need weapons, soldiers, and a ship. Then the stormtroopers find out that the vehicle she came in is, as they say, a terrorist vehicle. And they find her in this shop and they have a <laughs> and only described as a very awkward blaster fight with the people in there. They're like two feet away and no one can hit anyone. But yeah, again, it's very quick. It's just about a five-minute five shot to give you an idea what the show could look like, what the themes might be. Uh, what I found also interesting was the behind-the-scenes video. Is that it shows re real-time rendering on the cameras. So the actors are, of course, working with a green screen background. But on the camera, as they're recording, it shows what the special effects would look like. So it gives them an easier way to see if the scenes are working or not. So this is test footage from what, almost eight years ago or 10 years ago, if this was back in 2010. And the big question is, why is this video leaked now? Uh, was it Lucasfilm trying to pull a Deadpool to see if it gets interest, if there's interest for this out there on a show like this? I would want to think that it was them and they're seriously looking at the possibilities since it would make a great TV and a great series. If we're able to explore that side of Star Wars that is often mentioned but almost never showed. I mean, <clears throat> all these stories we just went through talking about the Paul Dameron comic, it show it says that it's gonna explore what was it, the seedier side of the Star Wars universe. And again, Mandalorian does a lot of this, especially in the first couple of episodes, about bounty hunters and all that stuff. So I think the underground, especially in this period between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope that the Republic is crumbling, the Empire is starting up. So, you know, all the criminals, huts, all those guys are going to be running crazy trying to dominate all their areas. So I think this is a, a great idea to explore. Now is the time with all the new Star Wars TV series they're trying to produce. So if they release this footage to see what boss they would get, I think it's a pretty good idea, and I think it's something that they should look into. Alright, so that does it for our news. There's, again, a couple of big news stories. The test footage was a big one. The Project Luminous update is also a good story to go and kind of will give us a sense of where Star Wars is going to be heading in the next 
I think five to ten years, Project Luminous is going to be the directing force. So we'll, again, we'll find a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. So yes, let's go now to the special segment in what I, the first in what we hope become, becomes an ongoing series and is the section where characters might need to ask for a promotion or update their resume. It's the debut of Star Wars Yelp where we rate the best and worst Star Wars characters by profession. It can be Jedi, Sith, Imperial officers, bounty hunters, pilots, droids, whatever. And today we will tackle the best and worst stormtroopers to also include some clone troopers. So we're not gonna do a ranking like one to five or do a countdown five or three to one. We're just gonna start talking about a few troopers and see where they fall. So let's start with the best troopers. So first off, we go with Captain Rex, ori original designation CT7567. Maybe not the best storm clone trooper, but definitely my favorite. He has fought against Asajj Ventress, Jedi General Poncrell, a bunch of others. He led Anakin's 501st Legion of Clone Troopers with Torrent Company. He finds a way to not go through with Order 66 by removing his inhibitor chip and he made it all the way to the Battle of Endor and helping the, the Rebellion defeat the Empire all those years after he was produced. He was hit very hard by the way the Jedi treated Ahsoka during her framing and also helped train local rebels on Enderon like Saw Gerrera. Uh, his story's not done yet, we'll follow his journey when Clone Wars Season 7 kind of resumes in two weeks and we'll see what else Captain Rex does to improve his ranking as one of the best troopers in Star Wars. When talking about troopers, we cannot forget FN2187. He sees the light during his first mission, he deserts the First Order and helps bring down the Final Order. FN2187 goes from just wanting to run away from the First Order, knowing that he's basically gonna be killed for not following through, to running away to find Rey to keep her safe, to then finally realizing he is part of the Resistance, committed to the fight, and running no longer. Another First Order trooper that we're gonna put in this category of best trooper is FN2199, aka Nice, aka Traitor! As we all know, he recognizes Finn in the middle of the Battle of Takodana. He not only recognizes him and could have shot him right there, he drops his blaster, drops his riot shield, and fights him basically hand-to-hand -hand with just his riot baton while Finn has a lightsaber. FN2199 is beating Finn pretty handily, but unfortunately gets blasted by hand and the bowcaster before he can finish off Finn. So not a lot of good clone troopers, I'm sorry, not a lot of good stormtroopers because as we know they're not the best shot or anything. So there's a few honorable mentions. First off is the incinerator trooper from the Mandalorian, which when we do our Mandalorian rewind we'll talk more about, but I think has the, the coolest entrance of any trooper ever. Uh, the death troopers from Rogue One who can actually hit something. Uh, Wolf. Fives, who's the clone trooper that finds out about Order 66, and many other clone troopers from the Clone Wars. 
and what I think is the best clone trooper designs are the clone troopers from phase one. That design is just classic Star Wars and to me the best design of a stormtrooper. So now we go to the worst troopers ever and there are a lot so let's get this going and first we're gonna go with the obvious one which is the stormtrooper that bumped his head on the door as he's coming in during A New Hope. Um, it became Star Wars lore as it was then the little sound effect was added when he hit that top of the door. It started countless rumors that he eventually became Snoke because the area where he hit his head fit with Snoke's scar and injury on his forehead. So yeah, for this you are dubbed the bump head on door trooper and probably one of the worst stormtroopers ever. There's also the group of stormtroopers that stopped Luke and Obi-Wan uh, and asked about the droids. You know to be on the lookout for two droids. The Jawas told you who they sold them to. You went to the Larms homestead so there's a high probability that you knew they had a kid with them. And then you run into a kid, a hermit and two droids and you just let them go. I know Obi-Wan does the little Jedi mind trick. These are not the droids you're looking for. But come on, there's like five of them and not one is kind of like, oh, wait a minute, it's too much of a coincidence. Well, let's ask him a few more questions. But no, they just let them go and we know what happens. So staying with A New Hope, since apart from the Clone Wars, here is where we get to interact with various groups of Stormtroopers. And this group we're going to talk about now includes the Bump Head on Door Trooper. It's the group that let, let, lets R2-D2 and C-3PO go when they enter the control room and 3PO just tell, tells them that they were locked inside. Really? A droid just tell, this, the door is locked, you spend like 10 minutes trying to get in. When you finally get in, a droid just, yeah, they trapped us, and yeah, okay, just get out. And after this, both droids go on to, to save that day multiple times throughout the Star Wars saga. 3PO, for example, in Return of the Jedi by saving the heroes from the Ewok barbecue, and then again in Rise of Skywalker by translating the Sith runes. R2D2, so, come on, opening countless locked doors, giving Luke his lightsaber in Java's barge in Return of the Jedi, and having the missing part of the map to Luke Skywalker in The Force Awakens. So, yeah, that group of troopers, not good. Also, the troopers talking about the TC-16 that fall for the old, hey, what's that noise over there? In again, A New Hope, when Obi-Wan is disabling the tractor beam, and he just kind of makes a little noise, and then they look to the side, which allows Obi-Wan to go unnoticed. And from then, we know old Ben then goes to confront Darth Vader in front of Luke, and sends him on the path to become a Jedi. You know what? What if all these troopers from A New Hope are the same bunch? They let Luke and Obi-Wan, R2 and Trippio go in most Eisley. Then they see them board the Millennium Falcon and they're like, uh, are those the same guys from before? Eh, probably not. Then their commanding officer is going to be like, no, we got to transfer you to the Death Star. We got to keep a better eye on you, a closer eye on you. You're messing up too much. We need Darth Vader close to you guys to see if you can straighten up. And then they let R2 and Trippio go again. Dude, it's the same droids you saw three hours ago. 
How many R2 units are just hanging out with C3 protocol droids? None. I've never seen another R2 unit in a protocol droid walking around and you let them go twice in about three hours. So probably the same droids, sorry, the same troopers that during Solo are yelling, kill, kill him slower when Han is fighting Chewbacca on main band. Probably constantly being reassigned due to their incompetence, going from main band to Tatooine to the Death Star. They have had to die when the Death Star blew up, right? There's no way they could still be around. Uh, who knows? Maybe they're still messing up things for the Empire and the First Order. So yeah, uh, another group of troopers are... All the troopers are get beat up by Shirod Inwe in Rogue One during the rescue of Cassian and Jin on Jeddah. He basically has a stick with a metal point. They have all this plastoid armor and blaster rifles. At one point, he just steps on the foot of one of them and kind of defeats him like that. So, not the best troopers on Jeddah. Um, so, worst or best, depending on who you are rooting for, are all the clone troopers that carry out Order 66. That kind of is self-explanatory, but really, you spend all these years with your Jedi commanders and then just... Order 66, and uh, yeah, let's just kill them. So yeah, but if you root for the Empire, they're the best. This might be a little controversial one is Commander Cody. Yes, I put him on the list of worst troopers. And I guess he starts well enough when Order 66 is carried out by having Obi-Wan and his Bactrial shot down on Urapau, but then he just quits. He asks if they found the body, then another trooper says, ah, he couldn't have survived that fall. And then Cody's like, all right, okay, that's fine by me. Let's pack up and go. I have another appointment at 7 on Kuros and I can't be late again. And really? You couldn't spare one prop droid or a rookie clone trooper on his first day to stay behind a few more minutes if everyone pops up? Come on, dude, just put on some swim trunks and jump in the water, man, Cody. The Emperor went straight to you for the 66 and yeah, whatever, he couldn't survive the fall, he's a Jedi, what, what can he do? Alright, some honor honorable mentions for worst troopers are the two scout troopers that pick up and then beat up Baby Yoda. I'm not even gonna spend time talking about them because I'll get too worked up, so yeah, we'll just keep them on honor honorable mentions. TK421 and TK7110, which are the two... Troopers that get blasted by Han and Luke and then have their uniform stolen. And finally, FN2187. Come on, man. You can't even complete your first mission. You've been trained for birth and when you're given the opportunity, you just freeze. No, yeah. I had you on the best category, but no. Worst troopers, FN2187. There, I said it. All right. So that wraps up our Star Wars Yelp. A quick look at the best and worst stormtroopers and clone troopers. When I was doing a little bit of research <laughs> for this, I ran into a Wired.com article and they have a great 20-minute video with Lucasfilm Vice President and Senior Creative Director Doug Chan and with Madeleine Burkett, which is the Collection and Exhibition Archivist, where they talk about every, and I mean every, version of Stormtroopers and Clone Troopers ever to appear in a Star Wars live-action movie. So if you're like me that loves Stormtroopers, love the design, want to know more about them, check out this video, again, wire.com. Not only do they explain what each trooper is, what their designations are, their rank, 
how the armors were made, why they were made certain way. They cannot talk about how George originally, the original Stormtrooper design was set to kind of mimic a skeleton. So if you put them again against a back background, you only see the white. And then kind of juxtapositioning this with the Sith Troopers on the Rise of Skywalker when they're all red with the lines. And this is, if the first one was for kind of mimicking a skeleton, the Sith Troopers were mostly muscles. So that's why it's the red with the lines kind of tendons and muscles and stuff. So it's a pretty good video, gives a lot of insight about it. So give it a check. And with that, we're gonna be finishing up this video. Pretty quick video on today. There's a few other things I have to go do. Again, there were some big Star Wars news, but we decided to just talk about them a little bit. So we had some time to talk about all the troopers. But again, you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Rebel Pod, hashtag Ask the Rebellion if you have any questions or topics you want me to address. And like I mentioned, again, we have our own Instagram page now. Go to Instagram, Radio Rebellion Podcast. You can also follow my personal account on Twitter, tweets at, AC, at tweets by AC. And on Instagram, Alberto Calderon07. So thanks again. See you next week and may the force be with you. Radio Rebellion.